Hello and welcome to the Industry Leaders Podcast, where we talk to the leaders of some of the most exciting retail and direct brands and learn the real stories behind their success, their challenges and their plans for the future. I'm Sarah Goldboyle and this podcast is brought to you by More2, the marketing science people. Hello and welcome to season two of the Industry Leaders Podcast, brought to you by More2, the marketing science people. I'm Sarah Colboyle and we're doing something a little bit different this season. We've chosen a theme for each episode and this week we're going to be talking about curiosity. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that we're really interested in finding out what sets the best leaders apart and how businesses and brands can organise their leadership teams and set themselves up for success. So bearing that in mind, it's time to introduce my guest. On the show this week is Samuel Roberts, Chief Product Officer of Leadership Dynamics at Drax Executive. Now, Samuel's work is fascinating. He's focused on evaluating and understanding leadership capability and impact to unlock the value creation. In more simple terms, his work helps leaders and teams of private equity-backed businesses to maximize their strengths, minimize their weaknesses, and achieve their strategic goals. So Samuel, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good, great. So listen, to kind of get us started, could you tell me a little bit about the PACE framework that you've developed? What is it and what does it do for businesses? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So the PACE framework that we've developed, so PACE stands for Pragmatism, Agility, Curiosity and Execution. And what it basically is, is a framework of behaviours that we've identified that the most successful high growth businesses usually possess amongst their leadership teams. And we've done that by evaluating the successful leadership teams of businesses since 2010, and then engaging with those leadership teams to understand actually what are the behaviours that really differentiate the most successful businesses from their peers. And actually, we've run the largest study of its kind across Europe in order to identify those kind of different sets of behaviours. And when we ran that study, what we identified was kind of four broad categories of behaviours that emerged, and those were pragmatism, agility, curiosity and execution. And so fairly uniquely compared to, say, most other sorts of psychometric assessment or framework that exist out there, this is one that is specifically measuring those behaviors that we can really prove and demonstrate, really drive and contribute towards successful value creation by businesses and their leadership teams, rather than being kind of an abstract theory that might reveal the broad traits of humanity, but actually is harder to apply to the boardroom and to the business environment in which we know kind of day to day leaders have to operate and execute. Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. And as curiosity is the theme for this week's episode, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to hear more about the different types of curiosity that you've identified, maybe how they differ to one another, how they can work together. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So within the framework that we use, curiosity has kind of four sub facets that help kind of contribute to that overall trait of curiosity. And we kind of juxtapose curiosity as an idea against this concept of what we call a functionalist. So a functionalist is an individual who is always seeking to get certainty, wanting to have a concrete plan and really be able to bring everything together into a single way of looking at the world and proceeding from there. Whereas overarchingly, curiosity is much more about a puzzle. It's kind of a dispositional thing, a willingness to engage with different ideas and different concepts, but also kind of a method and a style of how you go about thinking. So within those sub facets, for example, one of them is a comfort with ambiguity or a tolerance for ambiguity, which is indicative of actually how kind of comfortable are you with uncertain territory, new ideas of things in the future not being absolutely clear and how they'll play out. How comfortable are you with that? And then within that, there are other kind of ways of going about problem solving or thinking about ideas that are things from kind of 
Are you an intuitive thinker or a concrete thinker, which will get really into kind of intuitive thinkers of people who are very comfortable kind of off the cuff coming up with ideas and seeing how things play out, whereas the concrete want a definite plan. And then there are the kind of disruptive thinkers who are really trying to kind of come up with brand new ideas, whereas you juxtapose that often with, a, say, an adapter who is much more focused on kind of taking what already exists and adapting and applying that and working within the envelope. And then similarly, another trait within that that we use is a divergent thinker. So divergent thinkers will take a stimulus and you cannot really anticipate where that stimulus will take you. Whereas a convergent thinker, by contrast, is someone who you could give them that stimulus and kind of reasonably effectively anticipate the, the direction of travel in which their thought process is likely to go. And they're going to try and reconcile everything together and bring it together. That overall trait of curiosity actually has kind of multiple different facets to it, including kind of a motivation piece, but also actually how when presented with an idea, a concept, an opportunity, do you go about thinking and breaking that down, if that makes sense? Yeah, fantastic. And can you tell me a little bit, you know, in your experience, what role does do the different types of curiosity play in high performing teams, you know, particularly if you have maybe a functionalist thinker who's in an environment where there are lots of divergent thinkers? How does that work out? I think it's a really interesting question. So it's not always a kind of intuitive one to use one of the traits, but oftentimes high curiosity is seen as a kind of bit of a, a wayward trait within a successful leadership team in that it can be distracting or people not to focus. And actually what, so our research, which is mostly very clear that it's teams that ultimately drive successful outcomes rather than individuals. There is this balancing act to be achieved between, say, a, a more functionalist concrete thinker who is willing to translate those big ideas and concepts into a clear plan that helps them kind of drive forward. It might be particular roles that lend themselves to that. We, for example, have had thousands of people take our assessment now and the kind of framework, what we call an archetype for, a, say, a CFO, is often that they might be more functionalist than curious because that role drives a tendency to want to plan and have a concrete set of actions. Whereas others, say the chief technology officer might be a good example of where you often expect there to be a greater degree of curiosity because they really are taking those new ideas and believing them. And actually, it's the successful teams that can capture the breadth across the whole spectrum there that will really enable them to succeed. When we started our work on Pace, we thought there might be a real simple solution here. You might just find that everyone needs to be high on this set of behaviors in a team and, and you've cracked it. If only it were that simple. Actually, what our research shows is that it's all about the balance and complementarity of the team coming together and driving that really effectively so that the team can come together to focus on that value creation that is ultimately what the leadership team is there to provide, right? Like we're pretty clear that, and our research is clear that it's the leadership team that is the lever for successful value creation in businesses. But curiosity has a really important role to play in that because you need to be able to kind of lead into new ideas and build upon them and develop them in order to have an advantage in the marketplace, but also then a plan to execute it, which would be that more kind of functionalist approach to that. And how can someone like us say, if you have a CEO whose role is really to kind of help that team work together, how can a CEO help each individual team member to first, I suppose, identify their strengths, but then also identify, you know, where the strengths of the other two members are? Yeah, that is quite a tricky thing to do, I would say. Absolutely. Then the dynamics within those teams is always the kind of key consideration when you get into the behaviors. What's quite interesting with the role of the CEO is what we found in our research, and actually I'm doing a bit of work at the moment for an e-commerce business where the CEO there, the key thing that we're trying to find 
pull out is that usually the best successful teams, the CEO will sit kind of at the heart of the team behaviorally, will be able to kind of have the breadth and the stretch to reach across to the rest of the team. And actually, oftentimes, CEOs can end up becoming very frustrated in environments where the, they are the outlier to the rest of the team, and then they struggle to drive the team or see the behavioral response from the team that they themselves would have to a particular scenario or opportunity. And it's by sitting at the heart of the team that we found that the CEOs are then able to really have the impact and consolidate what is otherwise a set of senior leaders into a team that is driving something. The role of the CEO ultimately is one of the most important. So this, this example that we've been working on, the CEO there on our behavioral analysis is the most curious person in the room by a long, long way. And the rest of the team are much more functionalists, even though right. they come from backgrounds that you perhaps wouldn't expect that within. And that's leading to this frustration where this business has a whole host of opportunities, but they need to develop a new strategy to kind of take advantage of them. But the CEO can see how they exist there and kind of come up with these ideas. But because he's so distant from the rest of the team who are these functionalizers and less tolerant of the ambiguity, there's just this discord there that really kind of needs to be kind of teased out. It's a really interesting one with the CEO and how they kind of play back into the business and can work across the team. Is that a common thing that you find? Because I'm sure that in high performing teams, you know, where there's a really big focus on delivery and performance, I would imagine you do end up with a high proportion of functionalist thinkers who really are, are good at getting the job done. Do you maybe then end up with a little bit of just fewer people who are, say, divergent or more intuitive? Is that a common thing that you found? So it's reasonably common. Within the framework we've got, you've also got pragmatism and in particular execution. And the execution traits are like willingness to engage with the work you've got and get on and make things happen. And it's probably not hugely common in individuals to find individuals who balance very high curiosity and very high execution. That's a reasonably unusual set of traits. But within a team, you can kind of construct a team where those things can complement one another. But definitely, I think like there is this balancing act within it where probably what, what we do find most often is that teams will often develop organically and can end up, particularly in, say, founder-led organizations, which are some of the most common businesses that we work with, where these leadership teams have developed kind of organically around a founder who has built the team around them. And therefore, the behaviors will often mimic that individual. So you can end up with them all being very curious or all being very functionalist. That often works for a period of time. But the question for us is like, is that sustainable into the long term? Does it enable the team to go from where it is today to what the ambition is in a few years time? And how do you introduce those new elements to balance that out? That's kind of probably the most common scenario that we encounter is that you've got what has to date to be in a very successful team, perhaps, but either change is going to occur or you know that change is needed because of what your ambition is for the business. And how do you navigate that whilst capturing pace and in particular curiosity within that to really help drive it? That's kind of one of the big challenges definitely to any leadership team. And if you were speaking to a leadership team who's in that position, who maybe is going, I know I need to change. I don't know what needs to change. What kind of advice would you give them? So first of all, I think it like the starting point there has to be at least you're on the page of recognizing that you need to think about what the shape structure of a leadership team is and how they're coming together as a team to drive that. Often, I think that one of the things we find is that most leaders in business will only construct one leadership team in their lifetime, probably. And there's no reason for them to 
know the best way to go about doing that or really have any predestined way in which that should be perfectly executed. And so the starting point has to be, I think, a recognition that actually for all the ambition and maybe the business fundamentals look great, if you haven't got a leadership team that's there and able to drive that, you're not going to pass go and you actually are introducing a high degree of risk. It's interesting, isn't it? This is where curiosity goes full circle. So if you're aware of that and then are able to kind of recognize that as a problem, we always talk in what we do as a like there's an analysis about what the structure is, there's an understanding about what the experience that you need in the team is to stack the odds in your favor. And then then there has to be this focus on behavioral complementarity and knowing what is it that the team needs to be able to do to come together as a team that really helps drive value creation from that that leadership team and enable the performance that you're seeking in that context. I think it is. I think it does. But it it sparked another question. (laughs) From the teams that you've seen that you've worked with um, who maybe have taken part in your research, what do the most high performing teams have in common? It's a good question. So I think one thing that's definitely true amongst the most high performing teams is that, first of all, they definitely capture a method or experience in how to create value. And I think that's quite important. Oftentimes when, say, you're looking to introduce a new leader or you know you've got a problem and you're trying to bring someone into a business or solve a problem, you might think about it in a kind of industry-specific way. I, I operate a sandwich manufacturer factoring business and I therefore need someone who understands FMCG, fast moving consumer goods, retail and distribution. But actually the experience that is going to really differentiate this leadership team in our analysis is not that domain expertise. It's the much more kind of situational experience around how is a business going to change and how are you going to go about creating value? What are the methods you're going to go through in order to create that? So that's things like if we're going to go and create value by acquiring other businesses or transforming our sales model or digitizing our proposition, we need to bring in individuals who have that kind of experience. And that's kind of the starting point, I think. But then you've got to layer onto that kind of a dispositional interest in that value creation, which I think is where curiosity really kind of comes through because the method and means of value creation are always different in every business. There's some broad levers that you can pull upon, but when they get applied into a particular industry, I think it is the behavioral traits of individuals as they come into a team and their ability to work with one another, but also work towards the outcome that you're seeking that becomes really important. And particularly if you're a business that is in any way kind of pivoting or changing, if I was picking amongst the pace attributes there, agility and the ability to kind of pivot is is hugely important and kind of treating circumstances as opportunities and as learning opportunities to take the lesson from and apply, but also then the curiosity to actually engage with those and come up with new ideas and harness those and apply them into the commercial context, that situational context. I think is probably where, as you're applying it, those two things, so that kind of behavioral traits and those, what we would call kind of situational experience, the value creation experience, probably the two things that the most come together to really enable a leadership team to drive value creation and be that kind of primary lever for value creation. And how do you find that team dynamics, obviously anyone who's worked in a team knows that team dynamics are, can make or break a project, but um, how can team dynamics enable or stifle value creation? Good question. So one of the things that we do with our pace assessment is we measure both the basic pace behaviors, but we also measure what we call amplifiers. 
the amplifiers are essentially the ways in which individuals moderate or change their behavior when they're interacting with one another. So pace will reveal your pragmatism, your agility, curiosity, and execution. But the amplifiers will tell me if you and I, for example, were locked in a room, I might be very highly curious. But if I have a certain set of amplifiers, I might dampen that curiosity because you're in the room and you may be less curious than I am. And so definitely there are these sets of traits and that includes some really interesting behaviors like self-monitoring, which is the tendency to monitor or modify your behaviors according to the circumstances you find yourself in. Excellent networkers, excellent salespeople are often very high self-monitorers, whereas uh, you find that kind of those who perhaps are a little less extrovert or tend to always be who they are regardless of the context will be low self-monitorers. And you can rely on those people to always be as curious as they naturally are regardless of the circumstances they find themselves in. That's really interesting. I would have thought it was kind of the other way. I would have thought that if you were more introverted, you'd be more trying to adapt to the situation. No, it's quite, it's an interesting one. So the introversion, extroversion thing, I'm not sure that we've really found that there's much of a correlation, certainly to business outcomes between those behaviors. But it is this self-monitoring. And then there are another set of behaviors we measure in there, which are called the dark triad. So it's, you know, the psychopathy, narcissism, Machiavellian, (laughs) everyone loves those traits that really get into how you're treating those individual encounters with one another and then you layer on top of that the kind of base level of curiosity or functionalist that the individuals have and that's how a team really comes together to drive at something is it that the highly curious people are the people who are moderating their behavior in which case you will stifle that dynamic and find that everyone tends towards the functionalist or the vice versa is it actually that everyone is being super curious and the functionalists are being frustrated because they're moderating their own behavior according to the norms In some ways, actually, that comes back to our earlier question about CEOs, right? Because in that senior leadership team, the CEO is very often the big beast in that regard. Their behavior can often have a kind of culture setting and trend setting dynamic and become something that really sets how that team then drives and and works around one another in that environment. That's fascinating. I mean, I'd love to go into the dark triad, but maybe this isn't the podcast for that. But, um, no, I could go for a long time on the dark triad. It's fascinating. <laughs> sure, sure, you could. But to go back to that point about the leader, about the CEO. So say if you have a CEO who is quite aware that they're, you know, very curious, for example, and they're very agile, let's say, you know, for argument's sake, and perhaps those traits are slightly dominating the leadership team in a negative way you know, say they're jumping around and they're not going to execute. They have loads of great ideas, but they don't execute anything. Nothing actually gets done. How can the leader of the team um, manage that behavior and foster an environment in which maybe they themselves aren't particularly comfortable or experienced or don't like it that much? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one big thing there is, so one of the traits that we measure in pace is agility. And part of agility is a kind of a growth mindset, a willingness to learn from another environment. And often, actually, the mere fact that you're willing to moderate and change your behavior and drive those things and that the rest of the team are willing to as well can be indicated through what we would call that agility score, where you're willing to and open to developing how you go about things. Whereas if you have kind of a fixed mindset, a very kind of what we call mastery, so have a clear method and means, then you're much less likely to be kind of open and curious about other things that are out there in potential. So I think there's a starting point there where the agility and the openness of the team to new ideas 
gets you at the table where you might be willing to actually engage with that. And then once you're there, it's about recognizing kind of the breadth across the team. So it's not the case that everybody needs to complement with absolutely everybody in the team. It's that there's this interaction in senior leadership teams between the roles people have and the responsibilities they play and the behaviors they need that really help them to drive. And so it's about probably if I was a CEO who was highly curious and knew that fact and was willing to make sure that the business benefited from that but didn't stifle as well, it would be about recognizing where is that curiosity actually valuable to the value creation plan that we're trying to drive and where is a much more functionalist approach appropriate. And it could be to back to my CFO archetype. It could be that we say, actually, the CFO needs to be given the space to be a functionist, to turn things into concrete plans and make sure that's happening. But therefore, those environments, those forums that we use that help us or in which the CEO engages in that kind of curious behavior and is writing on a whiteboard all over the room about the new potential opportunities for huge value creation, you might recognize that actually the CFO isn't the best person to bring into the room to drive that. He's the person you bring in at the end of the room to rationalize it into a sensible plan and help make a concrete functional roadmap out of what has been a highly curious session. And therefore, it's just this like, recognition of the interaction there between these people and how there are these handoff points between each of these functionist curious individuals it's just making sure that you're doing them in the right way that really helps to drive success and value creation rather than frustrate it and lead to a poor team dynamic where the poor cfo has been trapped in a room for the last six hours and feels like he can't go about things in the way he or she would choose to it's about recognizing that and trying to play to that and moderate accordingly if that makes sense yeah absolutely i wonder if you could give us maybe you know some examples of businesses that maybe you've worked with say they had a problem where maybe the value of curiosity wasn't appreciated maybe as well as it could be and ways that they kind of overcame that because i think we've talked quite a lot about people who are very very curious but we maybe haven't talked about people who aren't so much Yeah, sure. So we were working last year, actually, with a consumer goods business. And that was an environment in which the team overall was a very low curiosity business. It had actually recently taken backing from a a private equity investor and was looking to introduce a CEO to help it kind of set a new agenda, come up with a new strategy and go about creating more value. But it was a team that had been very successful to date but collectively didn't have much curiosity and didn't seem too interested or too inclined to really engage with actually what is the new opportunities out there for this business to kind of go again and create more value. In that sort of circumstance, there's a few things. First of all, obviously there was that CEO change going on, which was an opportunity to introduce someone with greater curiosity who could bring that kind of that situational experience as well, but also bring a kind of mindset that meant that they were going to engage with the opportunities and come up with something and be able to kind of fashion a new direction for that organization. But also within the existing team, Whilst you had a relatively low curiosity team, you did have some variance within that. And you also had a kind of willingness to develop amongst some of those individuals. So it's about trying in that context, really kind of peel out from memory. I think it was the chief commercial officer was what we would deem the like high potential individual with a great curiosity who could become someone that a CEO who might be more curious stepping into that business could really lean on in order to help drive that team. You can get these situations where there is this tension between what's the behavior that we need to introduce to drive this business in the right direction, but we also need them to come in and work with the team 
it's a fairly complex process. It does step back to actually, what are we trying to achieve and how can we bridge that gap with an incumbent team? And who has that willingness and that curiosity to go on a development process and change perhaps the way they're working in order to adapt to the team and to the business and help really drive that. It's not uncommon that you find that there are those businesses where, particularly if you've been successful to date, some leadership teams end up with a method and a way of operating that they're very comfortable with and that they know. But in fast-changing markets, that curiosity is always going to be a, a kind of competitive advantage if you're able to harness it back into the team and drive something from it. That's fascinating. I think particularly when you get maybe businesses that have a really long heritage, you know, that's mm. probably more common there than, say, you know, an e-com only side that started two years. <laughs> and we've worked with um, family-owned businesses where you've got two, maybe three generations in the business working today and running it. And in those circumstances in particular, kind of, what can change can often become really emotional. But actually, part of our approach is that we try to make these things not emotional. It's about a really kind of objective perspective as to what is going to help a business achieve the aims that it's trying to, and how with the incumbent leadership team that we've got and all of the experience that they bring and the behaviors they bring, how do we maximize the value that that can really deliver? We've definitely had success with family-owned businesses where previously like trying to navigate those family dynamics as well as those business dynamics can just become a real minefield. And, and it, it's not always the easiest environment to work in. But by using something like this objective tool around which everyone can just kind of gather and say, yes, we understand actually this is the structure of this business and how this leadership team is structured and works. This is the experience that we have. And this is the set of behaviors that we bring. And then an understanding of what could change and what would that change mean and how would that impact value creation you're able to just have a kind of entirely different conversation about what is otherwise a really emotional issue often particularly in that kind of founder or family business dynamic yeah i'm sure that's really really helpful for those teams and i think what's probably important to say is that obviously you know you can have a dispensation towards you know pragmatism agility curiosity execution that doesn't mean that it's set in stone and you said you know that the ceo i think in your last example was kind of willing to develop and had the potential you know was a high potential individual so could you tell me a little bit about maybe how you help individual people to develop you know those areas where they're maybe a little bit weaker so actually the development area is a really interesting one because there are a lot of kind of traditional methods of personal or career development that are out there like coaching and mentoring but one of the ones that we try and focus in on is actually whilst also using those that we think that they definitely have a role to play in the mix is actually what are the experiences that are going to be additive and how can you kind of develop those experiences without necessarily going through them? So what's the type of change that's needed? And then there is certainly areas that we're really interested in and are working around today are to do with what are the kind of constant nudges and developments that can really help individuals change their behavior. One of the key things to do with our model is that we focus on behavior, not personality traits. So personalities are reasonably static and don't change. Behaviors are much more open to shifting according to things like how well you slept last night, but also what's my role and the expectations around it. And so often the development in there is actually about shaping and understanding the expectations of a role and then reinforcing those within an environment rather than treating behaviors as a kind of monolithic thing often doesn't really achieve what you want. And if I was critiquing some developmental methods, I'd say that's the one they take. Instead, it's got to be much more focused on 
what is the common ground between the individual and their objective and the business and its objective and within that there will be a set of developmental opportunities that drive behavior and reinforce behavior in which you can kind of nudge behavior in the right direction and it's about identifying that kind of seam of behaviors that is going to be the kind of key to unlocking that that's our approach in some ways okay yeah that's absolutely fantastic I'm just conscious we're slightly running out of time. So I wonder before we go, could you share any just short bits of common advice that you find yourself giving to leadership teams? The one that I would always pick out, which is that no one goes into business in order to build a leadership team. It's kind of a consequence of having a successful business and creating value. And it becomes this kind of burden that you have to face. The the bit of advice I would give is focus on the things that will actually differentiate successful teams from their peers. And in our analysis, that's the behaviors that they bring and how they come together as a team to drive that and making sure that the behaviors within the team, everyone's aware of them and that they drive, but also that the behaviors align to the value creation priorities you've got. So what's the value creation plan you've got? What's the ambition you've got for the business and how should those behaviors align to that? And then also that situational component that I mentioned earlier to make sure you're bringing in and focusing in on experience or finding ways to bring in experience that is experience of the journey you're going to take the business on instead of just the marketplace in which it operates. Behaviors and that situational experience component are the two things aren't intuitive when you're looking to create leadership teams and most of the time get missed and are the most value add in our analysis. Okay, brilliant. Samuel, I loved that chat. That was great. Really, really <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, absolutely fascinating stuff. I'm sure the listeners will have learned heaps out of that one so thank you so much not a problem pleasure to speak to you that was my pleasure thank you that was samuel roberts chief product officer of leadership dynamics at drax executive i hope you enjoyed this podcast if you'd like to get in touch with samuel to learn more about anything we spoke about you can find him on linkedin or just drop us an email at hello at more2.com don't forget that you can listen to all the previous episodes of the industry leaders podcast on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you usually listen to your podcasts we'll be back again soon but until then take care and bye-bye